Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti, everyone. Welcome to The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. It's a new year. It's a new time and many things going on in our lives right now, and it's all good. And if we can learn to live more from the world behind our eyes, we can figure ourselves out more and enjoy this thing called life. You know, in my tradition, I'm told I've had approximately almost 84 lives. That's a long time to live. And as much as I try to decode what that actually means to me, it doesn't matter. What's most important for me is the one that I've got right here in front of me. And if for whatever reason, this particular life is setting the tone for my next 83, I'm fine with that. So let me figure out this one right here, right now. And that's what I'd really like to invite all of you to start to do, to begin to live from the world more behind your eyes. Check your emotions, your feelings, check what's going on, where the resistance is and what do they mean? Is there something inside of you that you're ready to let go of, but you don't seem to have the courage or the strength? I know I've been there on too many occasions, but have you ever found that once you take that one step of courage, the divine is right there to give you a multi-million full help in return? It's that one thought, that one moment to just break through all the stuff that we're going through. I'm so excited to invite our special guest today. We all have something in our lives that we'd like to improve, whether it's managing stress more effectively, developing healthier relationships, building more confidence, the list can be endless. Our special guest today, Linda Bonar, joins us to share how we can create huge transformations in our lives by making small, almost insignificant changes to our everyday routines. Linda is a personal and corporate coach, author, trainer, and educational well-being consultant based in New York City, passionate about empowering others to succeed, and she partners with business executives and future leaders across the globe to overcome complexities with talent management and organizational success. Linda's new book, entitled Just Three Things, Bite-Sized Ways to Transform Your Life, we will have a big discussion about that today. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us on America Meditating and the Next Normal. Sister Jenna, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. And I love even just listening to your words there. I find them very hypnotic and very relaxing (laughs) and inviting. So thank you. Thank you. What was it that inspired your decision to becoming a personal and corporate coach? And can you share what are some of the few benefits of having a coach? I've known so many people in my life who have asked, oh, Sister Jenna, I'd love if you could do a coaching for me, but I can't. I don't have the bandwidth for it. Maybe I do need to outsource a lot of my friends that ask me to find coaches for them. But I know that's definitely something very huge right now where we're all looking for that other person 
just to get us back on track, tell us a little bit about your choice in ending up in that field. Thank you, Sister Jenna. So I was a history teacher for 14 years. And while I loved other teachers that I worked with, I had this feeling that there was something more. There was something different. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with teaching at all. I think it's an incredibly purposeful vocation. I knew that there was something beyond teaching my students how to write history essays. And history is incredibly important anyways. They were struggling, stressed. There was pressure on them. There was pressure on me, pressure on some of our other members of staff as well. There has to be another way around this. But I didn't have the tools or the skills myself at the time to manage what was going on and to help or empower my students in the way that I wanted to. I find it really interesting the way things come together anyways, because a friend of mine was doing a coaching course at the time. And she said to me, oh, you know, will you be one of my guinea pigs? I can practice, you know, my coaching skills and techniques on you. And I said, oh, coaching, you know, here we go. And I wasn't educated on it at the time at all. And it was only through that practice that I learned the benefits of it and the power of coaching. And like you said, even just having someone else, having a thought partner in a particular situation, someone non-judgmental, somebody mm-hmm. who has a completely objective viewpoint on it, somebody who's not going to tell you what they think you should do, but someone who creates and facilitates that space to allow you to come up with your own answers. Because you know yourself, Sister Jenna, we all have the answers inside of us. Sometimes yeah. it just takes a little bit of digging, a little bit of exploring with a partner, such as a coach. Beautiful. I'm sure you've heard many limiting beliefs that people have about personal transformation or personal change. What are a few of the most common myths? One of the most common ones that I hear as a coach is that it's hard, or it's that excuse of it's easier for somebody else, it's harder for me. Well, we like to come up with these excuses, don't we? Because then it protects us from having to go through the process of change, the potential pain or the discomfort that it can bring. So it's hard or it's difficult or it's not easy for me. One of the other things then that stands in our way of change as well is the presumption that I won't be able to do it. So again, it's that excuse of I don't have the resources. Another block or another challenge to change then as well is Do we really want to? Sometimes we like the idea of change on the other side of it. We like the idea of having changed. But again, we don't want to put ourselves in that situation where we could experience discomfort. So we can be our own worst enemies a lot of the time and actually self-sabotage. You know, as much as we are our own worst enemies, there is that part inside of us that really wants to change. But what is that thing that stops us? Are there some common challenges that many people frequently struggle to overcome and often don't. And do you have any idea, like, what is it that's really holding us back from taking that leap forward? I think fear is that biggest obstacle. And that comes with so much, you know, the fear of change. If I go through this change, who am I? What do I stand to Mm. lose as opposed to what do I stand to gain? Because that's often where our brain goes. First of all, the discomfort again, it's that pain or the unknown. We like being in control. Change doesn't always guarantee control, especially in that process of navigating change. In fact, we can lose a lot of control. Even fear or change at an identity level as well. If I go through this change, who am I on the other side? What if I fail? Fear of failure in creating that change, biggest challenges that's there. All others think. 
So the fear of judgment. So when we look at the fear of judgment and the fear of failure and fear in itself, where does the fear come from, Linda? Why is it that 99.9% of our civilization has this energy of fear recorded in them? This is a deep question, Sister Jenna. In my experience and in working with my clients, it happens to us at a very young age. We're taught particular things. We're, we're taught to fear, maybe change itself, fear of other people's opinions of us and the judgment. So we learn at a very early age that when we do these certain things, we fit in, we belong, we're accepted. And that's comfortable and makes us feel good. And we also learn at a very early age then that if we're to step out of that, perhaps take a risk and step away from the group, we risk a lot of things. And if we think back to the earliest days of Dave, you couldn't risk that. You have to survive and stay with the tribe. If you veer away from that tribe, then you risk, well, there's fear of death. It's not just fear of loss. And I know that's quite deep <laughs> for, yeah, for a conversation, no. but fear goes deep. And it it's, sure does. It's, it's so deeply rooted. And unless we're willing to shine light on it and lean into it a little bit as well and face those fears, acknowledge them. Most of them are thoughts in our head yeah. that we've conjured up ourselves, aren't they? That's exactly also, what I was about to touch base on is that it's always a thought that's coming from some recording in the soul from the past that we are attached to. For me, I feel like fear has a different percentage or a different hierarchical value inside of my personality. And when it first started out, it didn't feel like anything grand or anything that massive. But then when I kept reconfirming that energy based on my motives or my choices, when you make a decision based on fear and you still do it, you're still confirming that fear in your personality. Versus if you make the same decision from a place, I know I'm going to be good. I know I'm protected. Love's going to guide me. It's a different recording that you're reconfirming in the soul. And so this energy of fear just kept increasing and we got more and more attached to it. I think it must have happened when the sentientness of the soul, when we really knew and we were living from that energy of soul, of that purity and light in us. And it just transformed into maybe some ego, a little bit of attachment or greed or anger. Then the fear found root and it just started to grow little by little, birth by birth, before it became the norm. And now when we're becoming intelligent creatures in the 21st century and we're realizing, what am I afraid of? The soul is immortal. I'm here playing out a part. What is there that I need to be afraid of for anything? And then you start to try to find folks like you to talk it through until you can convince yourself and start to believe again in the power of your world and the power of your being in your presence. One of the things that we have been raised in is to be very critical. It's easy to be critical about other people, but how can we develop more self-confidence and manage our own harsh inner critic? I love this. You've reminded me of the piece that you just said about fear as well, because yeah. a lot of that is acknowledging it, right? Being aware of it. Nothing changes. And awareness is always that first step. Mm. So being Very aware true. of our self-talk, how we talk to ourselves in a particular context, noticing the difference between when we speak kindly to ourselves and about ourselves 
what's the different context between that and when we're more likely to criticize ourselves? So being aware of that, catching it, challenging it. I call it the three C's, catch, challenge and change. Catch Mm -hmm. that self-critical thought or talk, challenge it like a fear, right? How logical and rational is it? You know, does it help me to be fearful in this situation? How does it help me to be critical of myself in this situation? So is there a positive intent? And what is that positive intent behind it? How can I use it? So in that way, we can challenge the self-critical thought or talk. And we can change it to something that will help instead of hinder us, help us move forward, even if that's just understanding ourselves a little bit better. You know, so for example, right, I can be very critical of myself if if I'm taking a test or an assessment of some kind. I want to get 100%. And so if I don't, I have a choice in how I react to that as well. I can be incredibly critical of myself, or I can look at the learning, the opportunities for personal growth, professional development that this situation presents itself with. Is our inner critic, that ability of being so judgmental with ourselves and so critical with ourselves, is it connected to a lack of self-esteem? It can be. I like to look at it with the positive intent, right? There's a positive intent behind everything and every behavior and every action. And so if I'm feeling down in myself, if I have low self-esteem, I'm more likely to be critical of myself. Whereas if I work to build myself up, that critical voice might still show up again, depending on the context. But I'm more likely to feel or more equipped to deal with it in a more assertive and more helpful way. So the greater the self-confidence that I have, I don't think that our self-critical voice goes away completely. Because again, there's a positive intent. There's a helpful component to it. It's recognizing that and working with it in the Mm -hmm. context in which it shows up in, being flexible in our approach to do that. Indeed. In your work, you talk about the imposter syndrome. What is Mm -hmm. that and how does it affect us? I mean, is it connected to a little bit of the inner critic? Because if I'm being critical to myself, the way that I see the wording, I'm not going to be myself. I'm not really going to be me. So tell us a little bit about the imposter syndrome. I love what you just said, that we're not going to be ourselves as well, because we feel like fraud. So the imposter syndrome is all about feeling that I don't belong here. I'm an imposter in this particular place. I'm a fraud. I've been lucky. I've gotten here by some kind of somebody else's help instead of on my own merit. And the problem with that is, I mean, there's a number of problems then that come along with it, but it diminishes our self-confidence and our self-esteem. It doesn't allow us, when we allow the imposter syndrome to take hold, it doesn't allow us to show up authentically in the way that we'd like to. So we often operate then, if we allow the imposter to take hold of us, we can operate from a place of fear rather from a place of safety. So it's fear of somebody's going to find out, somebody's judging me, somebody's criticizing me. Ergo, I need to behave in this particular way. I need to operate in this particular way. Instead of coming to it from a place of safety, I'm secure and safe in how I arrived at this particular place through my own merit. So I can operate, I can behave in a very different way, most likely be more authentic, be my most authentic self in that position as well, and not be so fearful of other people's judgments or criticisms, or indeed my own. 
We're talking, I myself thinking about how so much of our fear, insecurity, the critic or issues, and I'm using the word psychic, not in the terms of psychic, but it's also psychic, that deep rooted, unidentifiable feeling that you get as a result of a situation, a circumstance, a relationship that you find yourself in that you don't seem to have the logical answer or the energy of the will to navigate through it with grace and feel that you've released yourself from that psychic bondage or energy that pulls you back. It seems so deeply rooted in the soul, Linda, doesn't it? And it's like, it does. It's like, no matter how much you know, it's still something deep inside of you. It's part of you inside of the soul that says, I need more of your time and your attention. I need your thoughts to navigate us through this. Have you ever had one of those moments when it is so deep and you know it needs time and it needs wisdom or it might need some good company or a good person to really get you out of that space? And if so, what was that like? So what's coming up for me now is that there's a strong sense of it's like this gut feeling, right? This intuition that something just isn't working. It's like, don't lean into it, lean back. I think you've put your finger on it beautifully here as well, Sister Jenna, is leaning into it, listening for what's there. What are the answers? What do I need right now? Is it some good company? Is it to explore my thoughts and just allow them to be? And I've learned this and I feel I've had to learn it (laughs) more as well. To resist or not to resist and be so fearful of those feelings or those situations, but to explore them, to park judgment and criticism of myself and to drive a little bit of curiosity. What could be behind that thought? What could be behind that resistance? What's my gut telling me? And I love the idea of checking in with your three brains as well. My head says this. My heart says this, and my gut says something very different. So how can I possibly encourage those three brains, those parts of me to get aligned? And again, I love the way that you've also brought up this idea of the the parts of us, because every part plays a role. And tuning into that part and again, checking out what its positive intent is. So when that situation, we feel that discomfort or that stickiness, it's like, okay, hang on, let me press pause here. And let me figure out what for me is the right thing to do right now. So there have been times when I've ignored that. I've ignored the intuition. I've ignored the gut feeling. Mm -hmm. and I've ended up hurt. So what I've had to do then is lean into that a little bit more. When I have, it's worked beautifully for me. And it's been incredibly uncomfortable, Sister Jenna, incredibly. I've stood in front of someone before. This was probably when I was at one of my most uncomfortable times. My heart is pounding profusely. Mm -hmm. I'm sweating. And it took all of my courage and all of my strength to compose myself and sit in front of that person and tell them in the most assertive and calm way that I possibly could that that was not a suitable or appropriate way to speak to me and that I was Mm -hmm. not going to be spoken to like that. I left the situation. I walked to the bathroom, composed myself got in my car, drove off for about two minutes. Then I drove down a side street, parked my car and cried my eyes out. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh. Can't believe I just did that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I just did that. And so there's, you know, it's that release of emotions as well is so powerful. 
So when we lean into those emotions a little bit more instead of resisting them. You know what that does too, Linda? It actually builds your confidence to speak your yeah. truth with more grace each time. Yes. And it goes back to something I was sharing that when I make those decisions from that fear, it's like reconfirming that. But yet at the same token, don't stop until you figure it out. Once you can identify that still I'm coming from a place that doesn't feel like I'm in my strength, but at the same token, what you were saying is there's my strength that says I don't deserve to be spoken to like that. And then, you know, there are both of these energies functioning in you at the same time. So the fear is there and then the truth is there. And then you actually do the truth with the fear going on. And then you drive your car two minutes down, you park it, and you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then everything comes out. Then can you imagine the learning curve, though, that you, the soul, was experiencing? And then the next time someone did that to you, that was less because it saw that you were not going to stand back. You were going to keep going. That's what I love about this thing called life. A lot of people procrastinate their transformation and a lot of people struggle with procrastination. So what would you say is at the root of procrastination and how can we put an end to this once and for all? I'm not a procrastinator, FYI, just giving you that public <laughs> announcement. I have got people around me who are procrastinators. I value freedom like you would not believe. And I value opportunities coming to me because I don't have a lot of things lingering. So the more I get things out of my way, the more I know universally, some things have to come to me. All right. So tell me, what is it, this thing about procrastination? <laughs> context is everything, Sister Jenner. And so in particular context, we might find that we don't procrastinate at all. We jump straight in and we get things done and we feel fabulous. And then there's the other side of the coin where it's like, oh, I'm putting that on the long finger. Ask yourself better questions and you'll get better answers. If you ask yourself what's behind the procrastination and you allow your brain to go through its little file of facts, you'll get the answer. And it could be something as simple as boredom. I'm bored doing this. I just don't want to do it. It doesn't excite me or thrill me. I can't connect it to my values or, you know, my highest criteria in any way. And that seems quite simple to identify. But again, here's fear. It comes flying in again because fear will hold us back. And it can often be this perfection paralysis in terms of that procrastination cycle as well. So if we're chasing perfection in a particular part of our life and we're worried that or we think I haven't got it perfect, we could potentially put off or procrastinate even getting started on something because of the fear of not getting it right. Something as simple as handing an assignment in, having a conversation with someone, doing a podcast interview. What if I don't get it perfect? Oh, I just won't do it. I'll put off replying to that email because what if they say no and I fear rejection? Again, do a little digging, do a little exploring, get curious about what it is that's holding you back from leaning in to doing whatever it is that you want to do. Instead of judging yourself, allow that thing to show up. And then you can work with it and break it down into smaller pieces. I never thought that procrastination was also a reason for one being bored with what they're doing and maybe being a perfectionist. What an interesting dimension. Either I want something to be perfect and so I don't go into it, so I procrastinate or wait until 
all the perfect pieces come together so it can be done. Or I'm bored stiff with what I'm doing and I really just don't want to do this. And then the question arises, what lights your fire? What gives you your passion? Because you can't spend your whole life just being bored. I get bored if I'm not creating or something's not happening alive around me. I can feel it like this is not the story I'm supposed to be living. I can feel it. And my recording in the soul is I'm setting the tone for my future everything. So let me do as much good as I can now while I'm healthy and clear headed and young, right? And so I've just had this kind of an ingrained feeling of just wanting to value every moment, even if it's just up here in my head, you know, to keep thinking about things that will take me to a deeper level. And talking about our head and minds and all of that, the world's going through a lot of suffering, anxiety, depression, stress. I hate to say it, but the suicide rate has gone to an all-time high. What are some ways in which, Linda, that we can reduce this overwhelmingness and manage the energy of that stress, stresses where you just don't have the honesty to look inside of yourself to see what's needed? So any thoughts that you'd like to share with our viewers that they can prioritize their mental health and well-being during these times? Gosh, it's so important, Sister Jenna, isn't it? It really is. One thing that I always encourage people to do is get things out of your head, get them onto paper, verbalize it, talk it out with somebody else, because that in itself, we might have the tendency to keep it to ourselves and thinking, well, this is my thing, or nobody else is going to care about this. Everybody else is busy, so they won't have the time to listen to me. My problems are a burden for somebody else. I guarantee you, if you ask someone if they have some time to listen to you, they will. There are so many wonderful professional mental health services that are out there, friends, family. And sometimes we have to be the ones to go first as well, because we have no idea what somebody else might be experiencing. By going first and saying, you know what, actually, I'm having a really hard time right now. We could be opening the door for somebody else then to share something with us as well. And creating that a sense of being heard, being listened to, a sense of belonging. I'm not on my own in this. That can be one of the yeah. toughest things about it. I feel so alone. Nobody else could possibly be grappling with what I'm going through right now. I never knew that until I became an instrument of the divine to humble myself and listen to the thousands of stories that come to me where individuals are going through a life challenge that they feel they're alone in it one, only to realize, but I just spoke to 500 other people that are having the same issue. That was one. Number two, it was when I also started to realize that nobody really can judge me or liberate me or do my own spiritual work. I have to do it. And when I started to practice being so open about my process or my transformation, and I realized how much company I had, how many folks even out there would be willing to support and help me if I needed help. And I think it's that ego that makes you be quiet to think that you know the answer, ego that makes you think you know better than the other person, or that ego that makes you feel you don't want anyone to know what you're up to because you yourself know that you're wasting your time. And so that ego, the way it makes you put yourself in a corner to make you feel like you're alone, everyone out there, we're both telling you you're not alone in your transformation. There are tribes <laughs> that are willing to be with you to just help you up and to help you through 
As we get to a close of our beautiful time together, balance is a big thing. Some people say you've got to learn to have a work-life balance and don't work too much, play hard, you know, all of these things, sleep, do all of this. But why is it critically important to have balance in our lives and how can we create boundaries to really ensure that we do? My interpretation of balance is very different than maybe an average person. Let's say, for example, my friends will see me on the outside and they'll go, you really need to get this. You need to get it. I go, yes, I know. I know they're coming from a place of concern, but in my mind, I'm balancing 5,000 years of existence. And I don't think that that's what I need. I don't need more sleep as such. I mean, I know I do need some sleep deprived to tell you the truth, but it's like, I might not need things that average, you would think that that's what you need for your balance, a spa treatment, an escape. Yes, I get it. I would love that too. But for me, I always need to have that right thought in my head to recalibrate me and to make sure that my inner world is stable. What's it for you? How do you find the balance and why is it so important for us? And just like you said, balance means different things for different people. People will talk to me about having work-life balance. And one of the first things that I'll ask them is, what does that mean for you? And Sister Janet, one of my clients able to give me a beautiful definition that they've so clearly thought of and, you know, eloquently presented. And they're like, gosh, I've never thought about that. So if we don't have an idea of what balance means for us, how can we possibly work to create it? Mm. For some people, it's working five days a week and doing something very different at the weekend. For somebody else, it might be working six weeks straight and then going to a spa and spending time with friends. Create clarity around it for me. Balance changes and it can change daily. It can change weekly. And I think because it's not necessarily for me, it's not a state. It's a process. It's something that's very fluid. I could feel very much in balance today because I might not have a heavy workload. And in the same token, I could feel in balance tomorrow. Despite having eight coaching clients, having to do a running training session, do something else, because they're things that I enjoy and they keep me in that state of balance. Whereas something is, again, what somebody might call a very simple chore of going to the grocery store could throw me completely off balance. So it's really important for us to check in and generate that awareness of what does balance mean for me? When do I feel in balance? What are the things? I'm doing? Or when do I notice myself out of kilter, out of balance a little? Is it when I have a conversation with one person? Is it a particular thought that seems to catch my balance and create this sense of uneasiness or unevenness? So connected to our emotions. As I continue to take care of what was my mother, teacher, best friend, business partner, buddy in crime, my mother with dementia, I've noticed how Every time I lose that balance or that control of being in charge of who I am, I can see how much it not only takes me out of the boundary of my self-worth and my self-esteem and self-respect as a person, but I feel like I've allowed myself to be out there with the wolves because now anything can come after me in this state of me not even being in control of where I want to be in my head, how I want to think, how I want to feel, the way I want to handle a particular situation that I have no control over. I think that's one of the big, big messages for 2022 is for us to be able to find the power within ourselves to 
take charge of the way we wish to think and feel about things we just can't change. What's your final message for our wonderful audience? And also, it's been a delight having you on air today. It's been really like home. And leave us with your website so we can find a little bit more information about you and your work too. Thank you so much, Sister Jenna. I think it's creating that foundation. Okay, so if we end on that note of balance, because we can get easily thrown off with everyday life pressures and everything else that's going on. Look to start to create that solid foundation for yourself. What are the thoughts that you allow to sit in your headspace and consume your mind? What's the story that you tell yourself? What's home for you? When do you feel that sense of balance? What are those things that you can always go back to? Whether it's a meditation, an affirmation, a sense of feeling safe, protected and secure. And just creating that foundation, because once you have that solid foundation, you can build other things on it. And you're not as likely to be taken out of your balance. They always say that where there's balance, there'll be success. And I love that. I love what you've left us with. The best website to get in touch with you? lindabonner.com. You can email me. My email is linda at lindabonnercoaching.com. I would love to hear from you. You're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and yeah, get in touch. Drop us a line and let me know. Share your story. Share your thoughts. It was wonderful having you in here. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much, Sister Jenna. Thank <laughs> you. Well, everyone, I think you've taken a lot of tools and a lot of tips to help you navigate your lives forward. Hey, sometimes going backward might seem like fun or just what you're used to, but moving forward is like sweet bliss, I tell you. There's nothing like walking into a new story, a new environment, a new relationship and situation just gives you an opportunity to see how much strength and perseverance and values and virtues and gifts you actually have inside of yourself. Linda has left us with so many tools and things that we could use to move forward, to find that inner balance and to be able to stop being the critic and maybe stop being imposter syndrome that she talked about. So do get in touch with her for some more information. I know I'll definitely forward some of my friends to her as well. So I am so happy to announce this new book that's coming out on the 2nd of February, 2022nd. It's being published by Sacred Stories Publishers. And I can't tell you this was the last thing I was planning to do during the pandemic. But what I loved about doing this was that I invited friends along the way to talk about their mystical experiences with the divine. You could hear stories from the amazing Jean Houston, the beautiful Genti Kripalani from the Ramakumaris, Charlie Hogg, Anne Dinan, Max Tucci, and so many more who are going to talk about what it's been like when they had their call or that moment of that aha in their meditation and how it changed their lives forever. So I'm hoping that you order your copy on Amazon or anywhere right now, or you can go to americameditating.org and get your copy. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I'm suspecting that the purpose of us being here on the planet is to keep loving each other the same. Take care of yourself. Thanks for joining. When I was asked by Sacred Stories Publishing to write a book on mystical divine experiences, initially I said, no, those are too private. But then when they came back again to urge me to do it, I said, why not? It'll be of service because over 25 co-authors would be joining me on this journey to share their own experiences. In meditation, intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices, 
you will read stories from our co-authors of a heartfelt clarity about a father's death giving his son a new life. You will hear the story of a woman embracing her wounded inner child and healing herself. You will even hear stories about an inexplicable medical miracle and so much more. This book has a life of its own. You will learn how listening to your inner silence can help you overcome life obstacles and reclaim your spiritual power. I hope that you'll be able to dive deep into this and maybe even explore your own mystical and divine experiences for your life to change, for your life to become one that is completely full and rich of everything good. Enjoy and thank you for looking into meditation intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices of who i am sweet divine even when i'm living asleep forgotten how to listen deep you find a way to sing to me through the night in the Rice Alley Restaurant wishes you happy holidays. Located at 6838 Piedmont in Gainesville, Virginia, we're a family-owned restaurant and offer authentic Asian cuisine and sushi. Come, savor our delicacies made with love and enjoy the perfect ambiance. We look forward to seeing you there. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.